Stop giving homeless people things that fit within your realm. Mm. So I know like my grandma says, never give homeless people money. And I'm like, why? And she's like, because I use it on drugs and alcohol. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know however many people are watching this. Mm. When you've had a shit week at work, when you've had a broken argument with your boyfriend, what do you do? Yeah. Have a glass of wine? Yeah, yeah. So why are you judging a homeless person for doing it? Yeah. They're living on the street. And I used to help out in Nottingham with this um, weekly homelessness shelter. And I said to one of the guys, like, why do you take drugs? Like, I can't mm. remember what it was called. It was one of them that just passes you out. And I was like, why do you do it? And he was like, have you tried living on the street? Yeah. And I was like, no. And he was like, try doing it for one night for me. He was like, it's so cold. This helps me feel warm. He's like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. But tell me how I'm going to survive. And I was like, you know, so many of us drink, smoke, take drugs, smoke weed to calm ourselves down after a bad week. Why are we judging homeless people for doing Step it? Stepping someone else's shoes. Right. Will, the last time I spoke to you, a yes. lot of people were worried about you. A lot of people commented on uh, what they learnt from the conversation that we had. Um and I also heard from a lot of professionals as well who said, we hear that every single day, that story mm -hmm. that, that you told us in the last conversation. Tell us what's happened since we last spoke. So uh, after the last uh, interview that you and I had, um, the following week, I had a full mental breakdown and was admitted into hospital for four days. I didn't even, well, I didn't want to be here anymore and that meant to opt out of living, but I just couldn't handle anything of any magnitude, any rejection, any anything. You see, I've been in a state of panic for about six months, and my sleeping is not real sleeping. It's resting. You see, when you sleep and you actually have good sleep, you will wake up feeling rested, rejuvenated, relaxed even. I have not had that for six months. So I'm always on the edge, always nervous and always scared. So even when you're sleeping, your body is not in recovery. You're in a state of hypervigilance, right? So Constant, constant flight, actually, yeah. yeah. And it was, so my caseworker, um, my doctor at the hospital, a psychologist at the hospital, my psychologist that I see regularly, and a psychiatrist all spoke to DCJ or Department of Housing that day. And at five o'clock that afternoon, it was decided by the Department of Housing that I was to be no longer helped. So I found out that they were admitting me the same moment I found out that I was not getting any further assistance from the Department of Housing. But after some rest and some, you know, sedatives to really make sure I did rest, I was discharged, but I needed a place to go. Um, or else they wouldn't discharge me. So uh, I had to buy my way back into this temporary accommodation as a as a last resort, like as a and they, and it was very much stated to me when I did this that this is only a two week thing. So I had to pay for it for two weeks, um, a weekly amount which I can't disclose, and that allowed me to stay in the building and around people that I knew. And that was a really good investment, I believe, because there is some good news out of nowhere. And I mean, literally, the night before I was planning to leave the planet again, I was that low. And out of nowhere, um, I got a house. 
I was, um, the Department of Housing called me and told me they had an apartment for me out of nowhere. It's mine. Like it was, it's, it's spacious for me and it's, it's mine. It's permanently yours, Will? Yeah. Yeah. It was for as long as I want it. Um, and you know, I, I, I do pay rent. Um, and when I make more money and get back on my feet, um, I will pay more in rent. It's, it's just it's a it's a really good way of, for for me to regain my confidence and for me to regain my confidence in the world again. And you know, I've had a lot of people comment who had listened to when we last spoke, and I was I've been told by many many people that. I, I came across very scared and I came across very, very um, anxious, anxious and very uh, just you could hear the fear in me. And I can hear myself now and I still feel very fearful. Even mm-hmm. when I got the keys and said I'm going to accept it, the guy at Department of Housing actually said, are you sure? I said, yes, yes. And he goes, you don't seem sure. And I said, I'll be honest with you, mate. I'm waiting for you to take it off and go, well, sorry, this is a joke. I, I was was waiting for that because that's just what's been happening. You were waiting but, for the catch. And, Will, I think it's worth me just <laughs> asking both of us to stop and take a breath, okay? This is huge. Yeah. And I'll just I'll, – let me just take up the slack for a while, okay? You just take a yeah. few breaths. The story that you told me before, the description you gave us was so profound in this cycle – which was this never-ending loop of obligations that you had to meet without any guarantee, in fact, quite the opposite, of, of landing where you needed to be, which is very simple, a place with a roof over your head, somewhere constant, somewhere stable, somewhere where throughout the day and at the end of the day you can return like all of us and that's your spot, that's your space, that's your safety. It must have also at the same time felt like a Christmas miracle too, coming so close to Christmas and you had predicted yourself that by Christmas you would be on the street. When I actually signed the papers and got the keys, um, well, two things happened actually, very funny. One, um, before I was there at 2 o'clock to sign these papers. Um, at 2 o'clock I was there but they weren't ready for me. But at that time, a lady had passed out into the lobby of the DCJ, the Department of Housing. So then I was actually <laughs> giving her medical assistance until the ambulance arrived because she was un- uh, unconscious. Um, so then after that, I then got to sign my papers two hours later. <laughs> and then um, and then I, I was left in the office for a moment while he went and photocopied some papers. and. I just stood there looking at this folder with the keys on top of it and it had my name on it. And I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. Um, and it wasn't sobbing. It was just constant tears. And I, I, I don't know why because um, it wasn't sad, but it was just this constant stream. I'm getting emotional thinking about it and talking about it. And the only thing I can pinpoint is, is that it's – um. A stress release, like all this tension is just gone now. You just know? complete decompression. I mean, you've been wound yeah. up like a ball and you've been trying really hard for so long that, yeah, that's that decompression moment. 
A lot of people wanted to know a little bit more about you, and I'm going to ask about that in a mm -hmm. second, Will, but can you describe this property, this miracle property? Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. People would be it's, very um, curious, like, do you get, <laughs> what do you get? What do you get? Well, you you get the right to call yourself someone with a house during a housing crisis, so that is a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I get the bedroom, I could get a bedroom, bathroom, balcony, lounge, kitchen area, full kitchen area with a proper stove, none of this kitchenette crap, but an actual, like, kitchen. Um, but at the moment I have a completely bare apartment i have no furniture and i'm still sleeping at jewish house um this is my last day today um and i have to sleep at my apartment tonight but i've got no furniture so i'll have to go and buy a blow-up mattress but there's actually um a service that's it's that been referred to where saint vincent's de paul or i think also I, no, don't quote me, but St. Vincent's de Paul are definitely taking after my case. And they will give me a bed. They will give me a fridge. They will give me like the white goods that I need as well as anything like the essentials that I need. So like cutlery, crockery, all the stuff that we don't really think about until we need it um, will all be provided in time by um, St. Vincent de Paul. But it's just got have to wait. And being that Christmas is so close, it's I'm in this really weird time of year where it's going to take a bit longer but again i have a home so everything else is just secondary and is it in a block of units is it central it to is. services it's um it's an apartment it's a housing commission apartment but it's not in the big towers it's a it's a apartment block but it's uh, only six uh, apartments in the block so it's a smaller one and it's in redfern um and uh, which is very central i am two three blocks away from the red fan station the train station oh. um i'm near um a health service which was where i went for the referral the day before um and it's also um it's, i i can't i just i'm so happy about it like it, i'm racked with what the words are it's everything that i need everything that i need and i'm so happy and oh, you are the tenant you're and the I tenant. Am the this tenant. is this we, isn't temporary. You are the tenant. Okay, <laughs> that's right. Um, yes. Good on you, Will. Honestly, uh, look again. Let's let's take a breath because yes. I would imagine that at this stage there is nothing else for the time being for you to think about other than the recovery because of everything you've been through, the, the emotional and the physical. Because last time you told us there had been physical toll on you as well. So the recovery is what you, I'm assuming are now focusing on? Um, I I know this from my doctor that uh, the first week, maybe two weeks of me being in this apartment, I'm going to sleep really heavy. Um, and that is decompression from six months of not sleeping well at all. Um, so it's I have to get ready for this because it's going to happen and it's going to knock me out. But at the same time, that's just one aspect of the recovery I have to go through. The therapy will have to become a lot more um, uh, common, like not just once a week. I'll have to go two to three times, I think, just to really get through what has just happened to me in the past six months. Um, but another emotion I wasn't actually expecting with this was guilt, how, how guilty I felt when I actually got this apartment. Even though I've struggled and struggled for it, when I got it and then I had to come back to Jewish house and tell the friends that I have made here that I got an apartment 
while they're all still looking, I felt incredibly awful and it, I didn't like telling them. I didn't want to tell them. I felt cruel and I felt mean by doing it, but I did want to celebrate that I finally got out. But it was just difficult because they're all still trying and everyone is, it's so difficult still. It's getting worse as well, like I predicted. For every success like yours, there are literally hundreds and hundreds, hundreds. just in Sydney alone, of people who are still going through that cycle you described to us last time. Yes. However, the rules are that I can't rent any, I can't subsidise any part of the rent, so um, I'm responsible for it. Um, and it is two bedrooms where I'm going. So um, one big bedroom and a small little study-ish thing, mm -hmm. uh, which could be a bedroom. Uh, but I can't rent that out at all. And if I get caught, I lose everything. And then I'm blacklisted. And what for, say, if you had a visitor over and uh, there was drug use and that became known to the department, what would happen then? Um, well, I mean, I'm well known to the department as well as the Ministry of Health for drug use and my drug using life. Uh, that's why I'm an advocate. But um, if drugs were found in the apartment, there would need to be a reason why they were in there. But they, if they're doing a scheduled inspection or whatever, then they're going to have a look around, of course. Yeah. However, I'm not going to be letting that happen in my apartment. Um, yeah. I'm going to be a lot tougher, actually, and a lot more uh, assertive in how I have my guests be at my place now because I'm so scared that I, I, can't, I can't and I will not lose this place. So you won't ever become complacent? Not at all. Not one minute. A lot of people were curious about who you are. Who is Will? Uh, um, well, hi, everyone. My name is Will, uh, Will Ryan. Uh, I am a 36-year-old, uh, originally from Queensland, um, now living in Sydney. I'm a gay man, a HIV-positive gay man, I should say, uh, as well as a... Uh, living experienced drug user and peer advocate as well as just just I was a former dancer and have traveled the world and, and been in that light like life and I loved it but the work I do now in harm reduction and you know just making sure that people who need help are given that help with dignity and respect I'm doing the best work of my life during this sector and I'm so proud of the work I've done um, from graphic design work that I just sort of dabbled in to have the, having that be used at the Ministry of Health and Centre for Alcohol and Other Drugs in their um, marketing and, and everything else, advertising, stuff like that. And I guess my biggest thing is Will Ryan is hopeful and after the past six months, I would never thought I would ever say that about myself, that I've actually gotten a glimmer of hope back because I've actually already gone to the Ministry of Health and spoken to one of the directors there personally, told him my story, gave him the podcast actually, and, um, and another higher up at Ministry of Health also listened to this podcast. And I said, I want to be responsible for a change in how homelessness and homelessness services are given without, without question. They need to be given in tandem with mental health because they're not at the moment and it nearly killed me and it's nearly killing people I know and it's really bad. And the director, one of the directors said to me, 
yes, let's do this. Let's let's come up with a plan. So like that's what I'm currently working on now while everyone else is on holidays is to come up with a plan to have the Department of Housing and Ministry of Health work in tandem for people who are in homelessness services. I'm very much looking forward to talking to you about the advice that you've got for policymakers, actually. But I just <laughs> want to keep the, the keep the spotlight on you for a moment, Will, if that's okay. Sure. During your time experiencing homelessness, what have you found yourself having to do to survive? One thing that I found myself doing, and I only did it a handful of times, and I'm not proud of this at all, and I hope everyone out there will actually have an understanding ear for what I'm about to say, but I found myself on more than one occasion having to shoplift food mm-hmm. and personal hygiene products, like proper soap, and, you know, to make myself look presentable. You see, I also was interviewing for work while being homeless, so I had to look presentable, and I didn't have the means or the money to do that. And unfortunately, I did shoplift a few times. I didn't get caught, and I didn't. I only took what I needed. I want to really emphasize that, and I'm not proud of it at all. But that was one thing I had to do. That is one of the ironies, though. Again, I'm referring back. If people haven't listened to that last chat, they have to go and listen to it. One of the ironies was that you still, despite being homeless or constantly in temporary, very temporary accommodation, you still had to be a functioning member of society, going for job interviews, turning up at open houses, applying for rentals. And you're absolutely right. You can't do that looking like you are, in inverted commas, homeless. Can't do Mm. it. No. And it's just another reason for them to not look at you, to pass Mm. you over, because you're obviously not fit to be out in public in their eyes. And I really want people to remember when you see someone on the street and they are homeless or they look homeless or you think, it doesn't matter what you think, ask them, hey, are you all right? I don't have much, but here's a dollar or here's something or, you know, and just look at them in the eyes. The amount of people that wouldn't even look me in the eye because I disgusted them or they must have thought I was something abhorrent to them because I was needing help. Uh, People who need help aren't awful. They are people. We are all people and life is not about you. Life is about us and how we as a society treat our most vulnerable is a real reflection of who we are at large. I would hate to think going forward that I would do anything to tarnish that. In fact, my goal is to make that better. Everyone deserves dignity and respect. Will, part of your survival during those incredibly tough times, I believe included sex work as well along the way. Yeah, of course. But um, that wasn't something I... um, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of sex work. In fact, sex work is one of the oldest traditions and much respect to my brothers and sisters and everyone else in between who continues to sex work because it is a proper legitimate job. However, it's how we are treated by society by doing sex work. You know, we're treated like we are damaged goods or that we're only just for a good time. So I wasn't doing sex work as much because I really wanted to not, um, as my 
career and health is sort of escalating. I wanted to sort of keep that my main focus. But yes, I did have sex for money. And so I could, you know, pay for uh, other things I had to do, like my storage cage and things like that. Um, but there was not much, there was not much, but I have not, I, w- I did sex work, yes. But it's nothing to be ashamed of. And for anyone out there who is sex working and you need help, you can go to swap.org.au, S-W-O-P.org.au. That's uh, the Sex Workers Outreach Program. Um, there's lots of stuff there for you. Is it way too early to be reflecting on what you've learnt from this experience? Uh, yeah, I was actually thinking about that today, funnily enough, already before I was speaking to you. What have I learnt? Uh, well, one, I am not alone in this, in being homeless, in being forgotten, in being set to use a system that was set in place so long ago and not been updated or funded. What I've learnt is that it is tough, and it's tough to keep going and getting out of bed every day and having to go and do those administrative tasks to the housing of the Department of Housing and the resilience that it takes. And so the Finns have turned the traditional approach to homelessness on its head and committed to a radical strategy that became known as housing first. Basically, there is usually a reason why someone ends up homeless, whether it's because of mental illness, drug addiction, because they lost their job or something else. But the idea behind how most countries approach homelessness is that the person living on the street should start by sorting out those problems first while living in a shelter. And only after that, they can get access to permanent housing. This has been called the staircase approach because the homeless person is basically expected to gradually move up through different levels. They are expected to stop taking drugs, undergo mental health treatments, and if they make progress, they can move on, with the permanent housing as a final reward. But the problem is that this approach is not actually very effective. Quitting drugs or managing serious mental health issues is already difficult when you have a home, and it's basically impossible when you're homeless. In other words, we expect people living on the street to do what many regular people are not able to. And so it's not surprising that most homeless people get stuck on one level of the staircase, as they fail to complete the tasks to move on, and eventually they relapse, get evicted, and go back to the street. So Finland, seeing that the traditional approach was not very effective, decided to turn this on its head and try out something very different. Rather than thinking of housing as a reward for successfully integrating into the society, Finland based its approach on the idea that with a permanent home from the beginning, solving your own problems becomes much easier. And so the state started providing permanent housing in the form of small individual apartments, not as the final reward, but at the very beginning, and to basically any homeless person who asks for it, and without strict conditions. Let's let's move into a positive space, an interesting mm. space, I hope. Um, you're the Minister for Community Services. Now. Time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We've all voted for you. You're out there like <laughs> Ava Perron, you're on the balcony yeah. and we're going 
We're Wilter. We're Wilter. Oh, no. Oh, I could never pull off that plaited braid thing she does. <laughs> really? No, no way. And you're just telling us not to cry for you, okay, which is, (laughs) funnily enough, the sentiment from the last conversation we had. But (laughs) Now, tongue tongue slightly in cheek, okay, because, of course, you're not able to solve all the world's woes, but surely someone like you has some insight. And I know for a fact that from the last conversation, people that work in the industry did hear that and did listen to the conversation. I've been told that uh, multiple times. If they were listening now, what needs to change? And I'm talking about, Will, let's divide this up into quick wins, things they could do very quickly, very simply, and then what are the bigger, huge platelets that need to move and shift in order for the most vulnerable people in our society to be cared for? Okay. Well, first of all, thank you, everyone, for your votes. I couldn't have gotten here without you. Um, To my frontline workers. Yes, of course. Thank you. Uh, for our frontline workers, you guys are doing one hell of a job. Don't think for one minute you're not. However, the people you're dealing with are people. I want you to remember that. You're meeting them possibly on their worst day. You're meeting them possibly on a day that they're considering not being here anymore. I want you to really think that and take that seriously that your attitude can actually change their mindset enough to keep them alive. And it's very simple. Look them in the eyes and, of course, listen to them out fully and then don't interrupt and also give them a realistic time frame. Don't say one minute or give me a minute. Say, hey, I have to go and talk to someone. Can you give me five minutes? Because it, you've got to stop making them feel like they're being fobbed off or they're not worth the time. And when we start to improve the client's outlook and mindset, it will improve on average the whole mindset of the floor when people come in. To my upper level politicians, I'm going to do this as constructively as I can. Do better. Build some fucking houses, (laughs) asshole. Thank you, exactly, do better. We have inherited previous governments, um, I guess, shit fuckery from the Juice Media's point of view, which I absolutely love them. Thank you, Juice Media. The government's shit fuckery towards uh, housing has really dropped us in it. And we need to actually get this right yesterday. So those of you who are in those offices, start doing audits on apartments. Start doing audits on anything that's vacant or that isn't, you know, that should be actually utilised and the space given for housing, become creative like they do in London. Before they tear down a building that's due for demolition, they actually let it out to homeless people. Uh, Landlords, stop raising your rent. I understand interest rates are high right now and that you have to do what you've got to do, but we'll meet you halfway as renters if you meet us halfway as our landlords. Right now, you have to squeeze on us so much. You're, You're standing on our neck and we're George Floyd. You're going to kill us. To the big wigs at the top, the RBA, the banks, the housing, uh, and, of course, Mr. Albanese. Guys, I want to do better with this. We have let this go so bad, so catastrophic even, that there is no recovery in the short-term future. So going forward, we actually have to plan for the future. 
it's good that we want to build houses sometime down the track. You know, in five years, we're going to have this many. That's great. Let's double that now. Let's change some of the laws around uh, acquiring uh, old properties that aren't being utilized and fix them up. It's time to become creative. It's time to start now, actually yesterday. Mm. So anybody out there who writes policy, please find me online. I'm on LinkedIn under Will Ryan or Will Hodges Ryan, um, and I would love to talk to you. Will, what's the plan from here? We talked about your absolute first priority is recovery, recovering your body, recovering your mind and your soul. Um, have you got any immediate plans um, on the boil or is it about sleep and recovery alone? What, what is your plan? People will be very curious to know. Well, I mean, and keep in mind, I've been living day by day for a long, long time. So having a plan beyond a day is tricky. So yes, resting and recovery is at the forefront of what I'm going to be doing. I have to really heal my mind, heal my soul, and really work on myself to make sure that, one, this can't happen to me again mentally. I can't be destroyed like this again. My parents already buried one of their sons. They don't deserve to bury another one. And so that's my my biggest plan at the moment is just to get better and cope with what's just happened and now that i have a secure place to do that and do all the emotional unpacking and it's going to be a lot and it's going to be exhausting but i need to do it it's what has to happen then further from that i'll continue my work in the advocacy peer role spaces that i can whether that's in drug and alcohol or in homelessness Um, and i will advocate for anybody who feels that they're not being listened to I actually advocate for some of the men here at Jewish House where I'm staying. You're going to become an even more fierce social warrior, which you already were, but um, it sounds like that is now going to be your life's work, if I'm going to be honest. Now, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you, Will. You're in here in the fortress of pop culture where we talk about all (laughs) kinds of things and we speak to all kinds of people. What role is pop culture, music, icons famous people, celebrities, what role do they play in your recovery, if any? Oh, my God. Oh, my God, massively. Um, Kristen Bell, my favourite, favourite detective, Veronica Mars, um, she, her character, Veronica Mars, got me through this past six months, like binge-watching the shows when I was in a low point because Veronica, as a character, was uh, downtrodden and, you know, discarded as damaged and, but she never turned away from helping people, you know, find their dogs or find her best friend's killer or whatever. Like she was always, Veronica Mars never stopped and I loved it. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know this show, Will. So I've just, that was a really interesting contrast. She finds people's dogs and she also finds her best friend's well, killers. She sounds yeah, remarkable. She is. You know, she, she, it's, a, it's a great series. If you've not watched it, it's on Stan. Um, never Veronica heard of Mars. It. Yeah, Kristen Bell was her first work before, you know, The Good Place and all that stuff. Okay, um, okay. She's Veronica and the character is so tenacious and so resilient and so loving and careful about what she does, but she's also got the guards up and so she's really strong and stoic, um, but she's also so She's been an inspiration hurt. to you by the sound of it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, yes. Um, pop culture has also... Um, if those of you who watch YouTube, um, and if you don't, you really should. Um, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of WatchMojo.com um, and their top ten lists. 
Today, we're delving into the top 10 pickles that Brittany Spears ate in 2007. But first, hit the subscribe button. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Here are some honorable mentions. The dill pickle, sliced dill pickle, and corrugated sliced dill pickle. The lists are becoming more and more inane. Don't get me wrong. They're fun for, you know, a 10-minute It's brain bubble gum. It doesn't have to be deep. It's just just there. Um, But also... um, it's pop culture is always going to have a role in my life because I do love it. But now I have a deeper appreciation for political pop culture figures um, like Greta and uh, Greta Thunberg or um, uh, uh, Malala Yousafzai. And, you know, so young and have such influence is amazing. Mm. And then, mm. you know, growing up telling them to shut up and they say, no, fuck off. I find like people like that. Amazing. How dare you? Uh-huh. Well, and I think well, Malala, she actually says, I got shot point blank by the Taliban. Do your worst. Those political figures, which I would sort of shy away from, are actually hugely inspirational. Will you back? Once you're yeah. in this land of, of <laughs> pop culture, there's nothing that you can't get through. Exactly. <laughs> you pour, like me, you pour all your attention into these episodes of pop culture that come up throughout the year all right well listen it's been fantastic talking to you i genuinely on behalf of all the people that listened to our first conversation say um well done and congratulations but we also take your point that even though you have landed on your feet that we can't ignore that this is this is an issue that has no end in sight for tens of thousands of Australians and people all around the world because it's a very similar system everywhere. Thank you for bringing attention to it and good luck with that healing and recovery process. I hope you come back on at some stage and talk about music or something more light. Yes, I'd love to do back one of those shows again. Um, can I just say real quickly, um, mm-hmm. everyone, thank you so much for the support um, and the, the listening or like, is this considered views or listens or whatever? Um, and taking what you got out of our last conversation away and doing better in your services and, and doing better in your life. Like that's really, really cool. It's coming into Christmas now and it's going to be really difficult for people on the street. So as a, as a favor, I'm asking you all, if you see someone who's on the street and you can give them a dollar or give them some food, ask them what they would like even if it's coffee and it doesn't have to be huge or it's just something because again, that little something might keep them alive that day and it's Christmas. They need a break, please. I'm asking and as a favor to me, if you see someone help someone. Thanks. Thanks, Will. Coming to you from the mountain fortress of pop culture. You're listening to Time to Talk.